I'm Commander Shepard, and this is my favorite podcast on the internet. Welcome to the Active Topical Banter Show, RP Gamers Editorial Roundtable Podcast. I am Scott Walker, and joining me this evening for recording are my co-hosts in no particular order. I'm Sam, and I've joined the Shining Force. I'm Trent, and I'm still alive. I'm Mac, and I have a couple of issues. First off, <laughs> it's in the same order, regardless of it being no particular order. Second, I have yet to see the round table. So if anybody knows where it is, please let me know. Uh, yes, that's, that's our first order of business. We have lost the table. If you've seen it, um, tell us where it is. Let it Let it know that we still love it and that we want it back in our lives. I miss it greatly. I need that round table back. It covers my pantslessness. So. <laughs> it, it, it's what lets it's what lets us it, it lets us be pantsless, yet in the same room. Exactly. The, the The other order of business is that we are now on Google Play's podcast service. So if you're an Android person who really never nailed down on a podcatcher, I guess that's what that's for. So you, there's a new subscribe button on the archive page. Uh, I can only see nice. it. I can only see it as an owner, so I don't know if there's a review interface at all. But there you go. All right, good job. If it's now, if it's if like I could the figure me- out how to navigate Google Play, that would be awesome too. If it's if it it's kind of built onto the side of the music thing, the music streaming. So maybe there's, like, thumbs up, thumbs down, but that's purely for your benefit, not theirs. I don't know. That's what I Sounds got. Sounds about right. Yeah. Um, so tonight our topic is the nature of Japanese to English localizations, pros and cons on style, some other particularly relevant issues of the day. And I'm just going to start by laying out what I feel are the four key uh, schools of localization. Um, they are, of course, Carl Masick, Victor Ireland, Ted Woosley, and Midnighted, Midnighty's Naruto fan sub. Um, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Bring it. Yes. Um, obviously, Ted is the best because he works really hard at it. Or did. I don't know. Is, Ted Woosley's dead, right? No. Uh, well, I think he works at Microsoft, so yes. Okay. <laughs> He he's not he's not doing the making Final Fantasy three really awesome in English is what I'm saying. Yeah, he doesn't do the video game translation localization stuff anymore. I'm pretty sure he works for Microsoft. He did back in two thousand seven, but he might have moved on somewhere else. I have not been following Ted Woosley or Woolsey. 
I can never pronounce I, his name right. I feel like you're missing a school of thought on here, but I'll come back to it later. All right. Um, Which is the Jessica Chavez school of localization. <laughs> Drink lots and cut your hair a whole lot on Twitter because <laughs> that one works. We we love that okay, woman. Sorry. Sorry, sorry. I don't. Yeah, Just I don't think from the main point. I don't. I don't. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying is that obviously Ted is best, and there's a camp, particularly. Uh, mid naughties Naruto fans that really like mid naughties uh, Naruto fan sub style where it's still half in Japanese and I'm like no I am I'm I'm pretty I'm gonna be the guy that says no I paid Scott, for a work in English God damn it <laughs> Scott I, I might need some help here Why don't you give us a brief rundown of these four schools of thought All right So I would like some clarification All right Because so, I'm not as familiar with the There's two the I'm ladder. not either. Okay, so Carl Masick is the guy who brought us, after a long series of weird legal things that are, I, every time I think I wrap my head around it, I learn something new, like, uh, but Carl Masick is the guy that turned Mac, Macross, Southern Cross, and Orgus, not Orgus, Most Beta, into Robotech. So his school of localization would be categorized as um, functionally just stomp all over it to make Americans like it, because we know what Americans like. Oh, that does happen quite a bit. That was, that was definitely a thing in the Super NES and PS1 days. Um, it's also probably where a lot of the weird box art of that time came from. Now, Carl Masick, he is dead. Poor guy. Rest in peace. He, he did what he thought was best, and then... I don't know. Just and then died. Is that well, what you're trying to say? no, he just he stuck he around like as the industry stuff. changed and didn't never quite got away from. He had this weird halfway translation thing that never made sense to me later. I mean, he literally died back in 2010. Yes, he did literally die in 2010, but he was still working until then. And I would see his name on things, and I'm like, Carl, what is going on with you? You don't. You have a discipline, but there's no consistency within it. Um, okay. Then I'm more familiar with Ted and Victor, but please explain how you see them so that I can kind of get some basis for this. So Ted is, I think, just a best-case scenario translator, someone who is looking at the material, looking at what the material is trying to say, and translating where they can and adapting where they can't. If you follow, son of a submariner. Yes, exactly. That you you need to maintain the alliteration and the fact that there are no submarines in the desert. And you, Spoony Bard. Hey, they checked the man, Hella Spoony. Yep, Hella Spoony. All right. Was he? I don't think he was credited for the Spoony Bard because I thought he had already been. He didn't. No, I don't know. I just. I just always but, liked Spoonie Bard. <laughs> and then um, there's School yes. of Victor Ireland, which... Kind of should need no introduction, but I'd, I'd just like to hear your thoughts on it. So Victor, I, I think Victor Ireland does need introduction, because he, he has fallen off the radar. And then bit. came back. And then came back, but didn't come back on the radar, per se. He's just back. Well, I mean, he has a very unique localization style because it kind of comes across the way you def described Carl, just as you kind of also well, described think, Ted, well, and then I you think, mishmash it together. I think Victor is characterized by 
a American pop culture yes. centrism first and foremost. It's not necessarily about making the names things that a uh, you know middle schooler can spell or making um, the work a thing that make sort of universalizing the work, but specifically just saying, "Hey, I've got room." For a Wheaties joke. Which Wheaties. is mostly true of his early work. Um, having played Summer Night 5, <laughs> it is a little bit better. Like, in terms of actually no. making it more, less Americanized and pop culture sort of thing. And so you're actually, saying Summer Night 5 is better about not Yeah, the it, it kind stuff? of avoids the pop culture stuff. It's got a lot of energy and punch, which is very Vic style. But it doesn't have the pop culture reference that you kind of sit there and go, why, why did you include this? Exactly. I've seen, yeah, I've seen some screenshots. I haven't finished. I haven't really started into this one myself. But a friend of the show, Joshua Carpenter, has been posting some screenshots from it. And yes. it seems like the localization is just really awkward. <laughs> Not, it, it has moments don't... that read very strangely. Um Definitely, like, that I, I totally get, and I love when he posts those screenshots, because it's just, it reminds you that sometimes sentence structure doesn't work the way you want it to, <laughs> so. And, the, and that is that is a project of direct translation, and then I guess my last school is, I call it yes. mid-2000s mid Naruto fan sub, where the idea of remaining authentic to the Japanese language means leaving most of the Japanese language on the screen, which I'm like, no, I paid for a work in English. You can, you can make this happen, guy. <laughs> I, mm. I, like, I, I'm the one person who does literally resent, um, the stupid honorifics in anything. Except Persona. No, I'm even stupid. there. I think you can convey that layer of meaning other ways. Unless his name yeah. is Sweaty Son, which is just yeah. funny. <laughs> I, I didn't name my character that. We had a friend who totally named his character in Persona 3 Sweaty Vest. So whenever he was talking, he was like, sweaty-san. Because, <laughs> you know, awkward honorifics. Well, Scott-san, um, <laughs> I just want you to know that I pretty much agree with you, except for I think it, it worked for me in Persona 3 just because it seemed like, or Persona 3 and 4, just because it seemed to be more fitting with those games. But I can understand, you know, I would have hated to see it... <sighs> tried to read you know maybe it was overdone but i'd have hated to see it done like the other direction like cutting them out completely i can understand that but you well, know there's like, got to be a way mr. to adapt the mr junpei son you know yeah. mr junpei yeah there, there's know, definitely sorry, that 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 one character who would just because they're using son everyone's mister but i'm like there's a way to convey that and have it inform the characters in a novel way see i you and i've had this talk before like i with when it comes to persona i completely disagree with you i think having the honorifics actually keeps a level of authenticity for the fact that it's supposed to be japan and that it's supposed to be um quotation real world with paranormal elements i think keeping the honorifics in adds that little bit of flair to the game that makes it feel like it's authentic and it's more realized in a lot of ways. Okay, so, and I guess, and some of that is, um, so the, there's a lot of questions of what informs these me methodologies, and I think 
things like that and keeping it at a, because it's an element of the Japanese high school that these honorifics matter a lot more. Um, how much of the appeal of these game of a foreign game is its foreignness? Not much, typically. That you know, the Persona games are because of where they're set. That seems to be fitting. But a game just that is from Japan that has nothing to do with Japan, no, it doesn't need anything like that. You know? Yeah, I don't need that in Final Fantasy Thirteen. <laughs> no, and like you know, Final Fantasy Twelve. That's another one that you can kind of look at. It had. You know, British voice acting, and it was all the better for it. And I thought Xenoblade Chronicles, the first one, was even better to me for its British voice acting. And it just seemed like the style that they took in at least Final Fantasy XII, which is now twice, so take two drinks, um, is better for that because it just held up as something that seemed authentic for the world of the game. And that's what I think works best for it, and I thought it worked well in Persona 3 and 4, and, you know, it, it's just wherever it's set, it seems to have a good fit, and I think those games took their styles, owned them, and really brought it home as far as the, the text localization went. All right, but I think, okay, how much of, uh, you, you mentioned British voice acting, and I know those games were, that game in particular was dubbed by NOE, but how much of that is... Do you, do you feel like they kind of... Okay, had they gone full BBC production of a Greek play where they start assigning specific um, British accents to certain nations? I don't know if you're familiar with that theater trope. But where where all Spartans... I am now. Well, okay, so in British theater, all Spartans have Scottish accents. Whereas all okay. Athenians uh, speak with the BBC Radio English, which is not quite like educated London, but pretty much just educated London. Okay. Hmm. And so, like, well. in adding that layer of inflection, like, the fact that there's What's-His-Face from Dragon Quest, who is Cockney. Oh, Yangus. Yeah, Yangus is Cockney, as far as the English team is concerned. Well, as sort of a substitute for, I'm guessing what might be a Japanese regional accent in the original. Dragon Quest, well, I'm going to use Heroes as the example, so it's, it's the one with actual full voice acting. Um, because it's set with that medieval fantasy style, they mostly went with the idea of using English accents to show that level of like authority and royalty. Though, funny enough, the main king character, he's the only one that doesn't have a really weird British accent. His voice is very different from some of the other ones. Like, um, oh, what's the name of the slime character? Helix? Helix. Yeah, like, Helix has that very peculiar uh, British accent where it's, um, he's like the small boy trope. Oh, I'm just a wee cockney lad, I'm Keith... Keith uh, Hampshire, um, the original Oliver. That's actually the exact voice that Helix has, <laughs> only poorly done. But similar idea. A very convincing small British boy. I would like some more. Decades later, I will be mistaken for a Canadian working on a pirate radio station, even on Wikipedia. <laughs> Thank you, Scott. Oh, you're making me feel so uncomfortable. <laughs> That's the point. That is the gold. I, I I personally think that the Cockney accent with Yangus is actually perfect, considering you know he's he's kind of a bit of a thug. 
he's a lovable one, but you know, he's he's a scoundrel, and I think that having oh, that cockney yeah. accent in, in is in the helpful. Japanese version, he is some sort of coolie stereotype. Yeah. So they're giving him cockney as a equivalent. I think for like for Dragon Quest heroes, like the voice acting was actually very spot on in terms of how they localized the text. Um, and I think those little additives like Yang is having the Cockney accent really highlight how good the writing actually was in that game for, you know, Dynasty Warriors Dragon Quest. <laughs> I love that game. We will not speak ill of it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they've always taken good care in the Dragon Quest games, I think, with, like, the debatable exception of four, where they took the accents and made them very, 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 very different. <laughs> I'm not sure how much you all remember four, about Dragon Four Quest. did have a very weird localization. I found at times sometimes, uh, I found it kind of difficult to understand at, at times, whereas when I played five, it's like they had kind of cleaned it up in a way where you could kind of understand some of the slang that it had been throwing in. Now, I don't know if that's something related more to like the DS remakes having a different localization or not, but I found 5 to be actually comprehensible in terms of the accent use versus what 4 did. Yeah, they scaled it way back in 5. 4 was, like, very... <laughs> I can't say enough varies um, about how strong all of the different accents were. And it's just, it was interesting to me. And like you said, it went from, you know, but thou must to really, really, if I say very one more time, smack me. (laughs) It's the slang usage in four because they were playing with so many different English accents Mm -hmm. and trying to only put them through text. It, It doesn't convey it the way if you had it voiced. Agreed. Like, and having. I liked it, but it was hard to read and it did get a little little too far at times well and i think that's the benefit of when you're localizing something and you have voice acting is that you can actually hear how the text is supposed to sound versus just reading it and that's where dragon quest 4's localization does in fact fall flat because if you don't even know what the accent it's imitating is you kind of sit there and read it and i'm like and you're like what are you trying to get at exactly whereas if you have it's the voice Welsh. acting, it's always well. <laughs> if you have the voice acting, voice gives context, so that always helps in a lot of ways. And then you know they were smart. Dragon Quest Five, they scaled it back so you didn't feel like an idiot reading it. Yeah, cool. And blimey, stop with the core blimey! You're gonna go play Dragon Quest Heroes right now, Mister. Cool, blimey. <laughs> have there been any games? where you thought the localization, like, the text localization really harmed the experience for you. I know we've talked about some good ones and ones that we like, and I agree. Let's get Trent in there. Yeah. Final Fantasy VII. Oh, God, yes. Okay. I mean, mean, the PS1 era is, like, I mean, I think PS1 is almost like the free space on that bingo card. But there were games that were well... There were well localized games on the PS One, though, but they were yeah. they were few and far I think, between. I think I think it's sort of categorized by being kind of rushed out a lot of times. Well, yeah, you know, it's, the hard thing about it is it's hard to know. And think about this for a minute. I, I would argue that it's hard to know when a localization has really been botched. Like you have to really 
be a, a, a fervent fan of a game and really understand everything that's going on with it from start of its development process to finish to figure out that somewhere along the line, the localization process has really been thrown off course. And the, the only reason why Final Fantasy VII is as notorious as it is is because people have gone on for decades now after its original release about how awful it is. And the only games that I am aware of that have poor localizations are the ones that the fans just won't let go of because they were so botched. Like, but like only, Chaos only, Wars. Only, only oh, they would yeah. know, though. It's it's not something that the average gamer would ever be aware of. Well, right? well I feel like there's, there's the obvious flags on the field where you just have, you know, grammatical errors that are the, that read like someone's they kind of read like the Hungarian phrasebook sketch. Well, like, or you have something... Has that happened, though? Since since the days of the NES or even the Atari 2600, how frequently have you gotten to the end of a game and saw congratulations instead of congratulations, you know? Like, it, that sort of thing just doesn't really happen in mainstream games anymore. No, and, and to be... You're right. Like, in a lot of ways, we don't have a lot of cases anymore where you know that localization work is botched with the exception of a game called Chaos Wars, which that localization <laughs> monstrosity went completely public when the game released. And a lot of the problems with that too was not necessarily the text as much as it was how horrible the voice acting was in that game. Um, because I think there's been some games that text-wise, were just about as bad, but it was really, really awful. I mean, comedically awful. You and oh, I yeah. were thinking of the exact same game, Sam, of Chaos Wars, because it just got so publicly noticed how bad the voice acting was in that game. And now and people play it for fun, because they want to see this monstrosity you know, out in the open. Um, and it's it's a baffling game that not only that it got licensed, and then the fact that it just was so horribly mismanaged as a game. Like, it shows you everything what not to do in localization. That's that's your game right there because it's such a hot mess. And I mean, there are there are games out there that do have bad localizations. A great one is the original Muramasa on Wii, which is also a hot mess with typos from start to finish a typo on the first screen, and you kind of look at it and you go, how are you releasing this without proper proofreading? Thank God Axis fixed it. Yeah, I, I'm with Trent's point on this, is that it doesn't happen as much now because I think what we've seen is more of a consolidation of localizers. We went through a time during the late PS2 into the PS3 era where we had a whole lot of independent companies popping up that were trying to jump out on the field, do some localization. A lot of companies were just getting their start during those eras, you know, NIS America, XE, they were all kind of getting their, you know, their wings going during this time. But there were other companies like the company that like O3 that did Chaos Wars that just, you know, did like a small handful of games and that was it. So now things have gotten so consolidated, you really don't see Anything from a lot of the smaller, you know, smaller yeah. localizers that much Well, and it, not even companies like like Silent Hill two and three were localized by one guy, right? Like the times have changed, and uh, it's 
I, I'm not trying to suggest that every game is going to have a high level of quality assurance as far as localization goes, uh, but I would argue that the few times where a game is really notorious for being hacked up for a Western release, the only reason why anyone knows is because the fan base is so up in arms about it. Yeah. Can I just say I miss the days when I was blissfully ignorant of what Japan's versions were? So that I couldn't be upset when so-and-so finds out that something was changed in the Japanese version. I I miss the days when I was willfully ignorant of what was going on in Japan. Like the NES days when I was too young and there wasn't a whole lot of info coming from imports. You didn't know about poison. (laughs) Yeah. Just just all kinds of things going on. You're, You're absolutely right, Mac. I mean, and I think it it, kind of comes in part to the conversation we had last show where fans do have this magic power of getting up in arms, as Trent said, and taking it to levels that are just, it's ridiculous. Um, You know, I think back to, like, playing Artanelico 3 and being offended by the infanticide that was in it, but at the same time, in in Japan, I, I kept wondering, well, why is she being portrayed this way in the North American release? And what was it like in the Japanese release? And they were actually two very different things. And sometimes when you have that, like the fact that NIS America decided to portray her as a Goo Goo Gaga baby infanticide case instead of what the joke actually was. Infantilism. Infantilism, sorry. Sorry, just someone's gonna yell. No, you're right, infantilism, <laughs> sorry. Um, like, it, you gotta wonder how they would have been able to make that joke actually accessible, because the route that they took it, like, it made people uncomfortable, instead of, I think, what it was trying to do in Japanese. And sometimes I think you can't make, like, a happy middle for people in situations like that because sometimes a joke just doesn't translate well, well. And I mean getting up getting back to fans being up in arms. Uh, I think I sometimes I think names matter too much. Like but look at Phoenix Wright. Well, not not well <laughs> Phoenix Wright the anime has two subtitle tracks yes, for which each is name cool. set which is nice. But I'm talking about the fact that it's been decades. What's that dead chick from Final Fantasy VII's name again, Forumers? <laughs> oh, Aerith. Ah, oh, dumb. Um, no. <laughs> indeed. Earth. Her name was Earth. They can't Earth. spell over there. They shouldn't have tried. It it, it happened. Yeah. Well, think about For this, For that matter, too. Tina, the great chick from Final Fantasy VI. Alright, I can't, I can't let talk about fans getting up in arms and localization <laughs> stuff go by without mentioning things that have been changed outside of... I'm not talking the censorship stuff. I'm just... Well, well, that, that's the next bullet point, actually, because I think yeah. there's things that are changed because they assume that a broader audience is not going to engage with some specifically Japanese thing. And I'm, I'm going to give the example of Yakuza 3 cutting the hostess clubs... Because they don't have disk space or text box space to explain a hostess club to you, and there's no context for it. I then go hang out in the hostess club. Like, Final uh, Yakuza 4 has 
a whole sequence that kind of explains what they are and how they work. And so... Well, it's because you actually it, have to do it in one of yeah, the chapters. You have, you have to run one. So it got, it got to stay there. And I'm like, no, that that that's something I can dig, is that you Sega thought they could hit more people if they did not include that particular widget. So they left yeah. the widget behind until they had time to explain widgetry. Now, Yakuza 3 kind of only sold to people who are down for widgets. And me. Yeah. Sam, you're so. definitely down for widgets. <laughs> and me, because that was my first PS3 game. <laughs> I've got to mention the one thing that really stands out to me. There's a lot of changes that happen in localization that is for censorship or for widget you know, explanations or whatever. And a lot of those, I can understand people not liking. I'm, I'm down with that. If you don't like the fact that cleavage was cut out of a game, I understand you don't like that. More power to you. I don't get up in arms about it, but I understand. I don't think that changes the content of the game, like Xenoblade... Well, if, or, if, if, Xenos- if cleavage is core to the character somehow... That's true, and and that very well could be the case. But Xenosaga Episode Three had to edit down in order to keep a teen rating instead of a mature rating. Cut out instances of blood within the game. Now, seeing dead bodies around with blood around them is one thing, but there is a clear cutscene in one point where the main character is having a flashback of you know like her parents being killed. And seeing the blood pour out of their bodies and like putting their hands out there to stop it and to try to catch it. <laughs> and looking down at it, and it's cut out completely. You know, not that I have to see blood in a game, but it was a key point. It was crucial to the moment of what was going on in the game. That was the whole point of the flashback, seeing that, and it was cut out completely. Now that's what I have a problem with, is when it changes the story in a game. It changes like it the is, It is like, now definitively observably measurably worse for the change so the fact that you know say the entire cast of uh bravely default is two years older just so they can get away with all the things they do because you know america has some different ideas about different things and whatever and nintendo likes to maintain a family-friendly image Mm -hmm. that that's that is like that's a pretty benign change, but then there's the moment where you're like, ah, the characters, oh, why, why is everyone bleeding chocolate sauce in this cutscene? Well, you know, Mac, speaking of the example you've given, here's another one that I know you have some strong feelings on, which was back in the Sega CD era, remember Quark dies in Lunar, and then they decided mm-hmm. to change it that he was just imprisoned. Now, funny enough, since both those games were localized by Victor Ireland, you know, I'm still baffled by that change, since and he's outright murdered in, in Sega CD land, but... Well, that's the big thing, is that one wasn't a localization change as much as the whole game, the way it was designed in Had Japan, changed, right? changed, yeah. Okay, because so. like, I, I always thought that one was a little weird, but yes, contextually. <laughs> that's why I like the original for its darker setting, but that's a total different point, but yes... No. I know I know lots of people get upset when, you know, characters' outfits are changed or costumes are changed. Or you like can't that. pet people's faces because, speaking of widgets, that is the weirdest, jittiest thing in the fr- <laughs> to come to that franchise. And I'm like, 
there and there's an opportunity for this to become a revision pass, uh, yet another revision pass, and for another set of eyes, a uh, functional to you know another arm of the publisher to say, no, this is weird and wrong, and I don't think this adds anything to the game. Let's not make the characters I- I'm trying to pet, pet each other. I'm trying to pet Scott's face. No one can see that though, but I've been petting it. He's got a fuzzy face. I, my problem is I don't like when content is cut from a game. Optional content, whatever it is, I understand the reasoning behind a lot of the decisions, and they don't offend me to the point of signing any kind of fan petitions, but I, I don't like content being cut because I don't always trust the content cutter to truly make the best decision for me. If a game's coming over and it's going to be made better by something, you know... Sometimes that's true, sometimes it's not, but cutting it out completely, I just, I always have not issues with that. Not Even if it. I don't give a crap about that, I, I don't care about face petting, that, that <laughs> means nothing to me specifically. But just the fact that that had to change, <laughs> again, it goes back to, I wish I was willfully, blissfully ignorant. Like, you, you just got, you just got to have a new Fire Emblem game, and you never learned about about face petting, or you got a Bravely Default and didn't have to look at anyone's panties, and it was just fine. Told it's you. like, why would I need to see this character's but, but panties? But face petting raises the affection level, Scott. Sam, <laughs> I am petting my wife's face right now. I'm uncomfortable. She does not like me more because of this. This is, this is like science. We can all participate in this science. I would like you to approach your significant other in a situation where you are both alone in the same room and just start petting their face and see how they react. Report your findings back to me. We'll get a grant. It's going to be great. Well, my wife and I almost didn't get married until I went and petted her face. <laughs> it, took me, it took me five or six times, but eventually hearts showed up above her head and we were able to marry. We have yet to have any kids, but, you know... Well, uh, that, that, it, it takes a lot yeah. more face petting to get so, kids. So, Trent, does this work on Kelsey? Um, well, I don't know if she's a big fan of me touching her face like that, but <laughs> she is a big fan of me making her food and doing the dishes. <laughs> well, take a stylus and get to it. <laughs> Tell me how it works. Report I'll, your findings. But, we want to get but, our we want to get our grant now. I, I don't want to confuse the issue. I I I, I totally understand the dislike for ridiculous censorship because a lot of times it happens in the name of you know the puritanical beliefs that everybody has to be protected from anything that looks partially revealing and i think that part is ridiculous too some games may have been better initially if they didn't have those things in there they may not have but you know what there's changing them and it seems like Nintendo really is the one that's mostly to blame in these cases because they are the, the criminal of the hour for this. Yeah, they're the ones that are changing a lot of stuff. They did with Fire Emblem, you know, Tokyo Mirage Sessions. We've got Bravely Default, Bravely Second, things that have changed there because of sensitivities to certain things, and that's a big issue. And just changing content just because it has to fit the ideals here, but. I mean, they're well within their right to do it, and people are well within their rights to turn it away. I'm not a fan, and I think just leave the game as is, and if the content's optional, ignore it. You know, 
the one I saw for Tokyo Mirage Sessions, where a character goes, like in the Japanese version, transforms into a bikini, and then in the American version, she's wearing some like hipster sweats or something like that. It just looks really weird, but without knowing the context of what actually goes on in that scene, I didn't read the text because I didn't you know, get a chance to really read what the English text was saying or get a good idea of what's going on. But it was a big. I I have change. no idea of anything that's going on in Tokyo Mirage Sessions. I just see things from it, and I'm like, it doesn't build like the the. I'm I'm not. It's like a puzzle. Like I mean, and I'm just like, so there's a duck here and some clouds, and I have no idea how these relate. And that that's that's my experience of Tokyo Mirage Sessions. <laughs> I hope that when I find time to play it, it clicks. Or it could just be a bunch of ducks and clouds, and I'll never know why. It very well could be. But those kind of things don't make me not want to play a game or not support a company, but they don't make me happy either. You know, I, if I thought my you know boycott or something would do any good, that'd be one thing. And maybe my stance on this is not very well, strong. Well, I think I'm, I'm actually going to say that your particular boycott as editor of a respected voice within this particular niche might have a little more weight than, I don't know, AnimeFan667 on Twitter. Hey, don't diss AnimeFan667. You will be bombarded on Twitter. (laughs) I know. Oh, if only I could mute those guys on Twitter somehow. Oh. Okay, so what what do you think, of, in terms of specifically dialogue changes, how much is too far? Do you appreciate a little punching up, or would you rather have something kind of bland but accurate? I, I, I like the punch up, personally. Um, do you, who was the guy who did Earthbound? He was recently interviewed by Kotaku. I'm trying to remember, the trans- yeah. The translator for Earthbound, um, I, I, know, I know everyone loves Shigesato Itoi. I love Shigesato Itoi as well. I really like Earthbound. I like how quirky it is. But a lot of the American references, a lot of the phrases that are used in the dialogue, a lot of the things that I find really make what's read on screen fun and punchy to your point, Scott, uh, is due to that translator. And I think uh, in as much as I appreciate translations that are really exact and precise, you can almost call someone who's able to really make an amazing localized version, a writer in their own right. I find Mm -hmm. now I'm, I'm with you. I think that, um, yeah, I know who you're talking about. I read that interview on Kotaku as well. Uh, I just Mark, can't remember the guy's Marcus name. Lindblom? More power to him. Good, good guy. Um, <laughs> but I'm with you. I've got to have something with a little more punch to it. I don't need 100% the most accurate Japanese translation unless it truly fits the game. Look back on Corpse Party. My buddy Tom, I've got to, got to say, the whole butter up your pooper line that is in Corpse Party may have been the most accurate Japanese translation that well, fit that scene. Well, speaking of uh, speaking of one particular one, is that Sam, when she comes back to a particular Victor Ireland, ga- Ireland game, always uses the phrase, I'm going to turn you into a beehive as an example. That's not one of his. That's uh, Star Ocean 2. Star Ocean? Okay. Whoever so translated Star Ocean 2 is, uh, I'm going to... 
the beehive line, yeah. Yeah, so I'm gonna, so Sam would always bring that up as like, man, that game had some weird localization, cause who thinks that's a thing? And I had to tell her, no, that, that's what Japanese gangsters say when they open up with a machine gun. Which I didn't know. That th- this <laughs> is what you get when you read old manga. <laughs> that is also go. translated pretty darn literally. Yes, yes, yeah. Star Ocean 2 suffered from a very literal translation and localization. Like, Yeah, I like it somewhere in between what is the most accurate. And, you know, I love the Lunar games. They're, they're some of my favorites, but I don't need them that far. You know, anybody playing it today getting the, you know, man lives in a van down by the river. Yeah. You know, <laughs> hey... Chris Farley's awesome, and I, I absolutely I love Chris Farley. Rest in, rest in peace. You know, talking about a lot of dead people. So tonight. many dead guys in uh, this episode. What's up with that? I know. <laughs> I know. Rest in peace. But ha- unfortunately, so many people would not even understand that. And it was great at the time, but it doesn't have any kind of lasting. You know, none of the pop. Well, even Nintendo did that. Like Nintendo America had the freaking doge meme in the newest in zelda link between worlds and i'm like really people are gonna be people are gonna be talking about such books wow it was in triforce heroes oh triforce heroes okay yeah which i didn't care about anyways but i agree you know getting the coolest thing that's hip right now it just goes to show that a lot of times people are not looking down the road it's not an archival thing. It's not something that some people are treating as something that games will be played in the next decade. You know They're what? They're just looking at right now. I think it depends on the game, too, because a series like Neptunia actually benefits from throwing meme culture around because well, it's, that's part well, of here's its the job. Thing. It, uh, Neptunia is doing is a game about Japanese meme culture. Yeah. And when one character who is a anthropomorphized social network shows up they did not translate the the particular memes of that social network they made her nis america's twitter account yep with a heavy at the time yeah that so the localizers kind of got to pay tribute to now one of their staffers and it's this great double joke that takes the spirit of the original and does it for the U.S. audience in the exact same spirit. And that that's the best way to approach well, and, that. And, and I think there's something to be said for almost having two passes on it where this is the text. Yeah. And then you have the pass of, the text meant that, and here's how we say it in a way that sounds like English. You know what? Because to give another oh, example sorry. is The Witcher 3 sounds like people talking in English. The Witcher 2 sounds like someone making Polish, doing Polish phrases in English. Mm. And I mean, I don't know a lot about Poland, but I do know that The Witcher 2 is hard to listen to a lot of days. (laughs) All the days, I guess, because, I mean, they're not patching a new dub for The Witcher 2 anytime soon. See, I... I tend to be meet in the middle, but I will say there are some games where I think having a direct translation works better. Uh, a good example would be like the Atelier series. And the Atelier series, the only thing that they've kind of jazzed up in a way is just sort of the social cues with the characters. For the most part, the story is pretty much a direct translation. 
but you have characters and decent voice acting that actually kind of flare up the way in which the characters are presented. And I like that. I do think that that helps those kinds of games where um, the game itself might not be the most appealing on one level. Um, but I, I like the way that they do the characters in that series. Um, you know, then there's games like Sweet Code 2, which, you know, have a really, really special localization and they couldn't figure out the name of the main antagonist because they spelt it three different ways. In one game, even, not In just one the game, side that was material. The best part. Okay, um, so what the, my, one of my favorite things I ever heard is a, the guy who taught me the Confucius, uh, he, he said that a work in translation is pre-chewed food. Someone else has gone in and digested it a bit for you. And that's inescapable, but when you're hungry, that's all you're gonna get. And I guess I, because I've consumed so many works in translation in my life, it's a thing I think about a lot. And I, I've, I've actually done translation work, I guess, in my life, just going back and forth between French and English for a couple decades. And it's, it's, it's a thing I think about, and I've never had a good answer, even for myself. If you asked me, if, 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 uh, IGN France was like, hey, Scott, we like what you wrote about that Sword Coast video game. Could you put that in French for us? And I'd be like, no, no, I can't. I would write something totally new, I think, is what I would have to do in that scenario. Yeah, it it makes sense. You wouldn't want to just directly translate. You could lose some of the meaning. You mean not like so. what Glenn did for April Fools? That was a <laughs> well, joke. Well, that was for the sake of a joke. It was beautiful, but still <laughs> very good. I, I'm 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 actually kind of sad that the comments did not get in on the joke and Google translate everything into Spanish as well. But <laughs> there you go. I think localization is is such a unique beast and you know mac and i come from the experience of talking with people who've done localization for many years and it's always fun to learn their process like i remember when we met with nick door he was at the time was working at nis america and they were translating atelier tutori and he said that a traumatic thing had happened to him so that a lot of the original text in tutori was surprisingly dark and they actually told him, like, you need to go back. And he's like, why? What's wrong with it? It's like, well, Totori sounds like a little goth girl. Like, what the hell happened here? She's supposed to be a little perky. And he was like, I'm having a bad week. I'm really sorry. And he went back and translated her, in, or localized her in a way in which it fit the character. But he could still kind of add that little bit of sadness because Totori is, in fact, a sad game. Um, and I loved hearing that story from him because... It gave me a lot of perspective, even just to how a localizer emotionally connects with the product that they're working on. Um, and you see that so frequently. Um, I think the Trails SC example is always a good one because you had so many different hands in the pot, but everybody had a kind of different emotional experience working on that game. From, you know, Andrew Dice, unfortunately, almost killing himself to Jess cutting her hair and wanting to murder the text. <laughs> like, it's a sad story about how 
the localization process went for that game. But it actually gives you a lot of insight as you're playing the game, what was actually going on in the minds of those localizers. Yeah, and some... Sometimes the decisions that are made aren't necessarily made by them, but for them. Yeah. And I imagine a lot of cases people seem to think it's the localizers. The lo- you know, in some cases it is, I imagine. They have more freedom. In some cases they're told, you know, make it fit this theme, make it fit this style. And yeah. they don't just go in there adding in all kinds of random well, things just there, because they there, feel like there's it. There's a story that, uh, you know, in the early days of ADV, that Gynex spent months insisting that <laughs> children always be plural in Evangelion. Always. So that, you know, you would refer to Asuka as the third children. Which is... It it it, com- it comes up a lot if you haven't seen the show, but it's like... there There are moments where the Japanese company does come in with a specific thing in mind. Um... And they have, they're, they're stuck with it. Like, there are cases where the Japanese licensor will have final approval on voice casting. And then, you know, you've got someone who is not the best fit for it. Or because Johnny Bosch sounds really good to Japanese people, but kind of bland to me, we are forever at an impasse as to why Johnny Bosch is always the lead in things. But voice acting is a related topic that is another episode down the road, I suppose. And do we have any final thoughts from anyone before we go to feedback? Actually, Mac, I want you to tell a good localization story, because, like I said, we've been to events where they've told us all kinds of interesting process things. And you've been privy to more than I have in some cases. Just a lot of the cases, kind of like I've said, they have you know, a theme that they're going for, a style that they're going for in these cases that they want to, to really nail. And sometimes I don't have any specific stories, um, but just hearing the thought process that goes into it, it's not just, oh, we're going to fill this full of memes because we want to. There may be some people that do, and a lot of times that happens maybe in companies that are bigger that kind of want to do that, or if they think it would, you know, resonate more. You don't see that in every single game especially nowadays well you get the people who also you know they also care a little too much i remember the first run to the sun that we went to together and um it was scott from atlas who was like is glenn here because glenn had actually found something in um it was class of heroes class of heroes and i remember because like he wanted to make this giant banner to thank glenn (laughs) For something, it was a really small error, but it was enough that it was detrimental to Glenn finishing the game, interestingly. I remember because we had this weird process where we had to, like, send Glenn's files over even because they didn't actually even know what the error was. And it turned out it was, in fact, a localization error. I remember that was a really interesting one. All right. So feedback in this case is we didn't get a lot from the forums, but we do have a new listener who goes by Winter Disa on Twitter, who bombarded us for a couple of days while she was on a podcast backlog blitz. We As, like you. That That's rad. You can always tweet at us. Um, 
particularly if you are on a backlog blitz, because that means the mo- the forum admins don't get mad per thread necromancy. We really need to move the podcast threads to their own section where they can be a little more evergreen and move around, but that's a different problem. But uh, the one thing that I do have to highlight is the reason why my call out is not to leave us five stars on iTunes, but to share with your friends is that iTunes breaks things up by region. So, so she gave us a five star review. And if you, uh, type, and if you go to our iTunes website page and then find this little chunk in the middle and change whatever your two letter country code is, from that to N-O, you can finally see it. Because, you know, worldwide content needs locked down localized reviews. So there you go. So if you're looking on it in the U.S., you'll see Mac giving us a five-star review. And if you're looking at it from Norway... Hey, sup, Norway? You'll see a different five-star review. And if you're looking at it from Canada... You'll see nothing. And that's just how iTunes works. So yeah, review if you like, but honestly, just just pimp us somewhere you think people would listen to and us. we appreciate any, you know, sort of feedback and or ratings. We're not picky. Um, Disa's been actually very interesting to talk to. Uh, I quite like her. So thank you for commenting and leaving us messages on Twitter. You're rad. And uh, remember, of course, that the uh, Sam Marcello fan club is still accepting members for the low interactory price of nine ninety five. You're my. a real sweet ballpoint pen. Sam's face is on it. I don't want it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like this anymore. Authentic fan club pens with Sam's face. These are ugly pens. Trent, what are your final thoughts? I feel like we've neglected you, and I, you know I love you, right? Oh, I, I, I love you too. Um, I don't, I don't really have too many thoughts on localization. I'm sure you guys have noticed that. Um, the biggest thing for me is just I want the people who are converting this for Western audience to actually be fans of whatever they're working on. I know that sometimes they're just professional translators, and people have to eat. But uh, I, I would really hope that anyone involved in localization really earnestly put in a solid effort to understand the work that they were converting and really tried to transfer over the spirit with it, too. Here, here. All right. So that said, you can, uh, you know, tell your friends, subscribe, leave us comments until next month. You can uh, you can you can listen to other podcasts on RPGamer.com. The Active Topical Banter Show is an RP Gamer production, all rights reserved. Visit rpgamer.com for contact info, discussions, and other great content. Music by Nubuo Ematsu, arrangements courtesy of ocremix.com. Those are not Shining Force. Those are Shining ripoff, generic garbage horrible action RPGs that wanted to be using the same name. But there are only there are only four Shining Force games that are worth noting.
Okay. Shining Force 1, 2, and 3. 3 consists of three different games, though. And then there is Shining Force CD for Sega CD, which included the Game Gear version, which is on 3DS. So, Which is that te- Hedro one, right? Yeah, sort of Hija or whatever. Right it's it's the most generic of all of them, but it's still, you know, it's it's cheap and slow and, you know, kind of the crappiest of the bunch. But Shining Force 1 had a remake on Game Boy Advance, which was really, really good. I don't know where I'm going with it yet. I gotta sit down and actually think. And then I beat Tales of Hysteria yesterday because I was like, I want to beat a Tales game because Tales games make me happy. And this one was depressing. Aww. <laughs> I was like, Tales is not allowed to be depressing. Talk so. about your all-time major backfires. Yep, so... Sadness. Tales is about friends. No, no, this one was about Jesus. Friends. Friend Jesus. Mm. No, no, Saray is supposed to be Jesus, Scott. Have Jesus you not is have you not figured friend. that out from watching me play it? Okay, okay. Jesus is my I've, friend. I've, they insist that to me. I've 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 actually been playing Tales of Zestiria pretty recently, and I've kind of started to get in the groove with it, to be honest. Yep. It took me a bit of yeah, is this the first Tales game you've kind of gotten into? I mean, I was I like Tales of Graces F. Um, I remember playing Tales of Destiny and Tales of Destiny 2 on PlayStation with my older brother. Mm-hmm. Um, I played Tales of Symphonia when it was out on the GameCube the first time around. Uh, but the thing about the Tales games is that I just always felt like I was never really mastering the combat. Like, I was making choices in combat that maybe weren't the best choices, but it's so hard to figure out what the best choices are. I don't know. It just, it never, it's, it was so action-oriented that it just didn't really groove with me, I guess. I'm but, with you there. Until Grace's F, it's the first one that clicked with me, and the only well, one that's clicked with me, really. Well, I think you might like Zestiria then, Mac, because... i check it out. In a lot of ways, it's kind of similar to Grace's, I find. It is. And yeah, it's, it is and, closer to Grace's battle system. Especially yeah, once that, you start... Once they start giving you the whole battle system, yeah, it right. becomes really well thought out. And it's yeah. a game that forces you to think a little bit more because element damage actually matters. Yeah, and stuff element, like that. Emily, element damage is big, and armatization is pretty big, too. And I mean, it, what I found really interesting is because I've heard some people say, like, where you can armatize, why not just armatize every single battle? You can't. But if you actually want to develop your skills and just become a better all around fighter, there is incentive for you to play normally and really only bring the armatizations out for uh, boss fights or heavier set enemies, that sort of thing. I don't know. And like, I. I, you know, in spite of the fact that some of the graphics look like they're, like, late-gen PS2 era, and in spite of the fact that Soray is indeed... He's Jesus. Uh, fantasy Jesus. 1,000% one, he is. I, I really like it. I, I like the way the characters kind of bounce off of each other, and I get that they're all playing archetypes because that's all you do in a Tales game. But you know but what? For, for Zestiria... Yeah, like if you're if you're into JRPGs and you haven't played a, 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 like a, a half decent JRPG in a while, I, I, I'd say that it's worth playing. See, how many other options are on PS4? Right. It, it's kind of interesting. Plus, it has the first gay relationship in a Tales game, which is exciting too. Hmm. Gay relationship? What do you mean? Um, Soraya and Miklio are actually canon. 
No. Canon canon, not just the way when I No, they are canon. No. As in they get into a cannon and get it on? No, I mean, no, no, no. It's it's an yeah, actual... Sam's just being a gross weasel. No, they're no, brothers. no. Unfo- they're no, brothers. honey, honey, honey. No, oh. they're actually canon. They're... And once you get to the I, ending... I don't like this podcast anymore. <laughs> and once you get to the ending, you find out it's canon, so... This cannon is just about to fire, let's, so... Let's start. So I can ruin Trent some more. Oh, dear. <laughs> Because that's I'm the mood I'm in now. now. We will need more hemp before we're through. <laughs> it sounded like somebody just snorted a line, too, while we were at it, so... <laughs> All right. Boogers! Do you want me to sing the Shining Force song? I will sing it this whole way through. <laughs> Don't talk- make me break out my PSP on you. <laughs> Sorry. Going back to the pants thing and hearing that first bit. Mine went to a wrong place. That was not canon. <laughs> canon. That's now canon. <laughs> I no. So, I'm wait, pretty wait, wait. sure the canon ship for this show was Trent and me, or it Trent is. and Mac. No, no, no. It was it was Trent and Scott when you guys are being surly, <laughs> and then Trent and Mac when they're being disagree. They're in their disagreeing, and I am paired with no one, which is good and proper. <laughs> Since I'm actually married to Scott in real life, I don't need to be, you know canon with him on a show as well it's the final countdown see that's what's good about this is i always have a laptop so if i need to go take a dump during the middle of the episode y'all never know (laughs) oh wait did i just say that on on air whoopsie not that that would happen or anything